are praying for Gary and Joe and Nancy and the whole Logan family. We want you to know that we are praying for you. We care about you and what you're going through. Um, I was teasing the people who talked to me about Pastor Pancake and Sister Syrup. We hope you're enjoying those pancakes right now. But I also wanted to say thank you to all of you here who came and are with us today because your presence matters to us. Your presence encourages us. Having you here with us means a lot to us um, because when we see each other, there's life there. And so um, we're so thankful. I just had an interesting encounter with someone who watches online. And I'm so thankful that we have online service because of so many of us who want to watch in anonymity or we're maybe exploring different faiths and things like that. We, we just value this gift and resource that we can share. So thanks to our production team as well, who volunteers and comes early so that we can put this online. Um, so we just, wherever you're at in your faith journey, we just want to include you in, in, in our community, however we can. And so, um, but I'm giving special thanks to those of you who battled the snow to be here today because um, it's a blessing to see you face to face and to give each other hugs and to take communion together when we have that. So um, we are in this really exciting series right now about sin, just our favorite topic. That's why everyone wants to come to church, right? And Aaron had been telling me for quite a while that he wanted to talk about this. And I said, you got to come up with a good sermon title or a series title. And then last week, what does he come up with? This is the title to his message last week. Can we start with that first slide, Grace? Sin, part one. <laughs> so fun. And I was like, I can do better than that. And <laughs> so I was thinking all week about a better series title. I'm like, sure, there's got to be something better than this. And guess what? I could not come up with anything. So what do you do when that happens? You turn to Google, right? AI, sermon title generators, right? Oh my goodness. I got 300 awful series titles. I had so many awful ones. They were so entertaining. And so I wanted to share eight of them with you. This is what happens when pastors go to AI. Number eight, how to make sin look like a million bucks. Sin shortcuts, the easy way. How sin made me a better salesperson. Death, sin, and taxes. How to turn sin from zero to hero. Why sin is no friend to small business. Lies and damn lies about sin. And finally, my favorite, sin made simple. Even your kids can do it. So this is why we don't always use Google for everything. The Bible Project, I like to watch their videos. Chris told me first about the Bible Project. I like to watch their videos and just hear their approach on things. And they, in their series title, it's Bad Words of the Bible. So that's an interesting approach. But Aaron last week spoke about committing sins or um, acting sins out or transgressions. Today, I'm going to be speaking about inheriting sins. And next week, we'll be talking about being wounded or experiencing sin. Um, and why do we talk about sin? Why are we doing this? What is our motivation? 
First of all, it's just the facts of life. If you were a child of the 80s, the facts of life is now going through your head. But anyways, it's just the facts of life. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? There's a weight that we all carry because we live on the planet and we either engage in sin or experience sin at every level. It's just the facts of life. But John 1.29, John the Baptist sees Jesus in the distance and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to help us deal with sin. That's why Jesus came. And since Jesus matters to us, that's why we're talking about sin. Because sin matters to us because it affects us. That's why we're talking about it. I love what the Bible project, how the Bible project describes sin um, and why it's so important to have descriptions of sin, transgression, and iniquity in the Bible is because it provides a deeply profound diagnosis of human nature. Have any of you had an undiagnosed problem? Our dog that we adore has allergies <laughs> and we can't figure it out. I'm calling our friend who has a vet who deals with allergies this week, but it's like, is it chicken? Is it beef? Is it Pollen, what is it that's causing this? And th that happens with our kids too. Like they break out in hives and you're like, what is the root cause of this problem? I remember one time I had teeth, I had dental problems and I had pain in my jaw and I'm going, the dentist and the endodontist are sending me back and forth because they can't find the right tooth that is causing the pain. They're like, we have no evidence there's pain. And I'm like, I'm evidence, I'm in pain. And they just keep sending me back and forth. And finally I said, just pull them out. That's how I feel about now. Just pull my teeth out. And then like, well, we'll start with one. And they give me one root canal and they fix the problem. But it took weeks for an undiagnosed problem. Sin, transgression, and iniquity, these different descriptions of the problems that we have in our life, they're like our healer, our great healer saying, here's a problem. It's gonna cause pain. It's gonna cause this symptom. Let me help you. Let's talk about it. And let's let Jesus take care of this with you. Take care of this for you, right? Do you need a diagnosis today? Is there some pain in your life? Are there some challenges that you need help with? So let's talk about why we should not talk about sin. Would, would, could there be reasons we don't talk about sin? Oftentimes, sin is weaponized against us to get us to perform or conform for someone else's comfort or to get us to behave in a way that makes us all comfortable. Fire, brimstone, condemnation, effective threats to get us to whip, up, whip into shape, right? But I think when we do this, we can misrepresent Jesus's heart. We can misrepresent God's heart and how the Holy Spirit wants to work in us. The Bible Project says that um, many of us have used sin to measure ourselves against others. That's a bad reason to be talking about sin so that we can compare and contrast. Am I worthy of love? Are you worthy of love? Should he be forgiven? Should she be accepted? That would be a bad reason to talk about sin. 
Contrary to popular assumptions, when biblical authors are talking about sin, they're talking about something much deeper and more complex than lists of do this, don't do that. Good guys versus bad, versus get bad guys. Gad buys. <laughs> it says this, a corruption of God's world that shows sin is a corruption of God's of God's good world that shows up in human relationships and choices, something that we do and something that happens to us. The story, our story, our creation story started with God created everything and repeatedly calling it good. Creation was good, but then a snake enters the story, corrupting that goodness. As the story unfolds, the biblical authors use languages like sin, iniquity, and transgression to explain this corruption and the harm that it causes. The other day, my son Caleb sent me something about Tim Tebow. <laughs> so if you've, I grew up watching football, sitting on the floor in my living room with my dad, and he's also a pastor. And so in the, in the end zones, in the field goals on TV, you'd always see the giant big thing that said John 316. Remember that? And so, you know, it's like, and everybody, let's say, for God so loved the world, that he gave. Who, who? Okay, you all got it. We all have that one memorized, don't we? So I guess when John T or John Tebow, Tim Tebow, he put John three sixteen on his cheeks way back when I don't know when. His team reported that John three sixteen was Googled, internet searched. 90 million times, 90 million times. So my goal, for those of you who don't know, Aaron's a Raiders fan and I don't like the Raiders at all, but there would be one reason I would go to a Raiders game and that would be to have tickets in the end zone behind the field goal posts that said John 317. John 317, I'm like, how many people might Google John 3, 17. Let's see what John 3, 17 said. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I'm like, I wonder if 90 million people know that verse. The world is already condemned. <laughs> we are condemned. We know it. All we have to do is look around, watch movies. I watched this so sad movie, The Banshees of Inisherin, or I don't know how to say it about these Irish people. It was, it was beautiful, but it was hauntingly sad because it was all this commentary to show us the depths and corruption of war on a grand scale and war between two best friends. And so it's, it's really sad. If you think we're not condemned, watch that movie and you'll see that we're condemned <laughs> without Jesus. We don't talk about sin to condemn ourselves or shame each other or to make anyone feel unworthy. We talk about sin because we need to be saved. We need saving. I need help individually. I have problems. I need saving. Help me, God, see the log in my own eyes, right? Me, as a community. Just let's take Sandy right here, Sandy, Utah. 
I, you know, our family loves the canyons and the snow and we live up close to that area. And Sandy's in an uproar about the gondola. The environmental advocates and the resorts, everyone is just fighting about this gondola. And you know what? The environment matters. So I'm glad people are making noise about it. But meanwhile, while we're fighting about the canyon and the, <laughs> the access to the canyon and all of that, Altera Elementary, just down the street from here, what do they send to Steve Wonky this week? How can we help kids experiencing food scarcity this, this summer? Just four or five, I don't know, six blocks that way? Is that how far Altera is? Protecting the environment, feeding our children. Why can't we do it? Why haven't we figured this out yet? Because we need help. We need saving. We need to know Jesus's ways. Nationally, I'm so thankful for our American government and our social services. They're incredible in many ways. On the other hand, our economic systems, our judicial systems, we know there's corruption. We know there are unjust systems. We know there are things that don't work. So let's just talk about Care Portal and talk about foster care system, which is way better than nothing. I'm so thankful for our foster care system. But from Care Portal training, we've learned the following. Could we put this up? 50% of people experiencing homelessness, 60% of girls and women rescued from trafficking, and 75% of our incarcerated population spent time in foster care. Those are some alarming statistics, very alarming. I'm so thankful for Kelly Joe and Brian Fontaine and Chris Ludlow who are helping us meet needs just on a case-by-case -case basis, trying to support families who are trying to be healthy and whole and restored. This is, this is what we get to do, is we get to send a word of encouragement pat somebody on the back and say, you can do this. We, we wanna help. We talk about sin and iniquity because we need to be saved. We need to help one another. Our city needs help. Our region needs help. Proverbs 28, 13 says, this is the message version. I love how straightforward it always is. You can't wash your sins and get by with it. You find mercy by admitting and leaving them. It's just pretty, pretty straightforward. We have sins individually, collectively, as religious institutions. God help us. As um, civil institutions, things we can't whitewash, things we can't overlook if we want to find help and mercy. Our biggest problem is, for sure, seeming to be, is agreeing to what our sins are. Don't you feel that way? Actually agreeing to what they are and being willing to admit them? That's when it gets hard. We have this age-old struggle to be more authentic, more noble, more just and loving, more whole in reflecting the image of God that he gave us to reflect. The struggle is real, but Jesus, Jesus comes 
His sacrificial love redeems us from the tyranny of death and the tyranny of the struggle and brings us hope. If you've been saved, if you've been saved, you know how incredible it is to experience the relief, the healing, and the hope that comes in trusting in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's such a relief when you're like, ah, God, you can take this. You can figure this. This isn't my burden to carry anymore. You took care. I don't have to suffer anymore because you suffered. Your blood was shed for this. So one of our challenges, iniquity, this idea of iniquity. The problem is we inherit sin, right? So here's my lovely title, which is no fun either. Inheriting sin, iniquity, sin, part two. So I can't criticize Aaron. Looking at the log in my own eye. The Hebrew word for sin is avon. It comes from a root word, ava. For iniquity, excuse me. It's to be bent or crooked, for something to be distorted. It's this propensity to taking the wrong way. Creation was good. Everything was good until Adam and Eve gave into the lie that God isn't good. Is God really good? Is God withholding from me? Why can't I have that fruit? Does God really know what's best? I really need to know, you know, the knowledge of good and evil. Does God really know? They ate the fruit. They chose their own path, their own direction, and they trusted in themselves and their own ways instead of trusting in God. When that happened, when we gave place to sin, something in us and how we reflect God's image was distorted and broken. Jeremiah 3, 21 describes it this way. Voices are heard high on the windswept mountains, the weeping and pleading of Israel's people, for they have chosen crooked paths and have forgotten the Lord their God. When we forget, we pick these other paths. In the Bible, in our Freedom Seminar, in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, we learn a lot about the generational impact of sin. Sin is never a private issue. We always think, it, oh, if I do something bad, it's just going to affect me. But that's never the case. It doesn't just affect me. It affects it ends up affecting people around me and it can even affect things generationally. We say it has a dual nature, it implodes and it explodes. Uh, there's the phrase that we all use, Jesus is in my heart, but grandpa is in my bones. The idea that sin affects one generation after another generation after another generation. In the times of the Old Testament in Leviticus, God is warning the people. He's like, don't do this. Stop. Reconsider what you're doing. And then he says this. He says, those of you who are left, if you keep going the way you're going, you're gonna wait, they're going to waste away in their iniquity and in their enemies' lands, also in their father's iniquities, which are with them. They shall waste away. So you see this reoccurring theme in Scripture, these cycles we say it's in our DNA, right? Um, 
oh my gosh, there's that famous song in the blood. It's in my blood. What was his name? Some pop star. He sings a song about it being in the blood. I'm like, wow. John, no, it's not John Mayer. Oh, it is John Mayer. It's in my blood. Sorry, nobody knows who John Mayer is. <laughs> um, even John Mayer knows there's this generational iniquity that we deal with, that we have to reckon with. David speaks about it in Psalm 51. He says, for I was born a sinner. It's that same word of iniquity. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, he's like, I've been wrestling with this thing. It's in my blood. I was born with this, this struggle between Aaron's family line and my family line. So I was doing my pottery class and we were just talking about the idea that everybody has bad people in their family. And they were like, we don't have that many, we don't have bad people in our family. And I was like, that's not true. Because I know the individual stories of multiple people in this pottery class. And I'm like, we all have bad situations in our family. We all have had bad stuff happen. I was like, just between our two families of their grandparents and great parents and great, great grandparents, I'm going to list them. I'm going to be, you know, honest here. We've had adultery, anger, rage, and violence, idolatry, which is following other gods, images of our own making, not trusting in God. Stuff like following the horoscope or following false religions, rejection, abandonment, divorce, and every kind of abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, substance, all of that in our two families combined. Wow, look what we get to wrestle with. But Jesus, Jesus came into the lives of Jack and Kay. Jesus came into the lives of my parents and transformation happened. And that gener those generational cycles, it's like somebody put a stick in the, you know, the, when you put a stick in the spokes of bicycle wheels and the bicycle flips and you're not riding that bicycle anymore. It's like Jesus came in and put a stick in the spokes of that wheel and the cycle got disrupted. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. If we're honest, we all, I mean, the list can go on and on and on and on. And then Aaron and I, we have to wrestle with things. And then our kids wrestle. And then each generation gets to choose. What are they going to pick back up? Or what are they going to let be down? And how much farther can we disrupt these sin cycles? We get to choose. Each generation gets to choose. Are we going to follow Jesus? Are we going to let Jesus flip this bicycle or not? I shouldn't use that kind of metaphor. Flipping a bicycle sounds horrible. <laughs> but it's visual, right? You got it. Here's the good news. So I talked about the problem of iniquity. Now I want to talk about some really good news. What is God's perspective on iniquity? There's lots of perspective. I'm sure God has lots of perspective on this. I'm just going to share a little bit about what I know about God's perspective. I love it because this is even before Jesus was born. These are, this is just from the Psalms. So God's felt this way for a long time about, about sin and iniquity. Psalm 103. 
This is David singing about what David knows about God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I just, when I hear this, and even when we sang it earlier, I just feel so much joy. It's like, it's like a breath, like praise God for what he does. He turned everything within me, like leaps for joy. He just wants to be like, yes, all that is within me. He who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your mouth so that your youth is renewed like the eagles as far as the east is from the west lori sang that for us thank you lori as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us hallelujah when i look at a sunset i think about this when i look at a sunrise i think about from night to morning, from east to west, that's how far my transgressions are removed from me. One of my favorite writers or preachers, but I've only heard her preach in a book because she's old and I don't think there are any YouTube videos of her. <laughs> her name is Ruth Ellen Davis. And she asks this question. She says, has God really set us a world away from our transgressions because this doesn't seem real because once our sins are committed, we deal with some consequences, right? There are lots of consequences. They're with, with us sometimes for the rest of our lives. The consequences of sin remain a permanent fact on the ground, even though the sin itself or even um, what happened was forgiven. But what does it mean to say that God removes our sins from us? What does it mean? Verse 10 of Psalm 103 says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. She says, Ruth Allen Davis says this, it seems that God makes a complete break between ourselves and our sin. And that God is not keeping such a close score of our iniquities as we often suppose. This is a common but overlooked error in the spiritual life. Treating sin as though it were the most interesting thing about myself or any other human being harboring guilt for my own sins and grudges about theirs, imagining that God is eternally occupied with plans to get us back for them. But in fact, God does not deal with us according to our sins. Why? Why doesn't God get back with us or hold a grudge against us? Why? Psalm 103, verse 13, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. So a good parent, no matter how wayward or how frustrating their child is, I mean, we see this in the news when a parent's child is 
done something, some act of violence, they're just like, I can't believe this is my kid. I can't believe this would ever happen. How could this be? And it's because a parent separates their child from what has happened. God can do that. God does that with us. He always sees the potential, always sees the good, always has compassion that is high as the heavens and as far as the east is from the west. Now, some of us have complicated relationships with our fathers. And so for us, we're like, this is not a good metaphor. It's as bad as the bicycle. Because my dad wasn't like that. So forgive me, but I'm going to go back to my dog, (laughs) our lovely dog. And isn't this the beauty of a good pet? They love you no matter what you do. They defend you no matter what you do. Your puppy is there for you. Have you heard the slogan, be the person your dog thinks you are? It takes a parent's love to do for us what we generally fail to do, to see ourselves as separate from our sin. Let's just stay here for a minute. God looks at us and separate, is able to separate us from our sins. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that make you want to like turn from the inside out? Enjoy, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Forget not his kindness. He separates us from our sin. Verse three and four of Psalm 103. He forgives all your iniquities heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. We may have these cycles of iniquity that come back to taunt us, that come back to tempt us, to come back and say, pick me up again, do this. Come on, your parents did it, your parents' parents did it, your parents, everyone everyone does it, you can do it. And we're like, no, God's mercy is from ever, it outpaces that iniquity. God's love and his righteousness goes from our children to our children's children. God's goodness is way bigger, way beyond all of that. So how do we respond to that? What do we do? I could give you some Google titles, five things to do to stop sinning, (laughs) improve iniquity instantly, (laughs) or remind you to come to the Freedom Seminar in the fall where we dive into all of this in more detail. It's a really helpful course. Or Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is also really helpful for some of this. But for today, we're just gonna look at one scripture, Isaiah 30, verse 15. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. 
only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence, some translations say trust. In quietness and trust is your strength. Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. Return to me, says Jesus. Turn from your ways of doing things. Sarah, turn from your poor reactions. Sarah, turn from your gut reaction of judgment or pride or fear or um, distraction. Turn from that and turn to me. Trust me that I'm good and that my ways for you are good. Return to me. Believe that God's heart, you return and believe that God's heart towards you is fundamentally and intrinsically good. And rest. I just don't think we understand the value and the beauty of rest. And learning to trust God and rest in him. I just don't think we even begin to get it. I, in our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course this time, we had someone who um, told me, I just, when I stopped and I started resting, because that's one of the things we learn is how to rest in this course, because it's contrary to our American culture and way of living. We're always go, 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 right? We're in the rat race. But in the EHS course, we learn to rest and pause and be quiet and to listen to what's going on inside of us. And one of, one of the participants said, when I stopped, I realized how much anxiety is inside of me and how much I'm struggling with something. And so your gut reaction is to pull back, like, oh, I don't wanna deal with this. I don't wanna deal with my anxiety. I'd rather just keep going, going, going. But when you pause and you rest, all of a sudden they had to come and present their anxiousness and their anxiety to the Lord and that the Lord helped them process it. That's the beauty of rest. When we have to, when we rest, we're like, I need help. Dr. Lynn Bapp says this about rest. Rest connects us experientially to the basic truth that nothing we do will earn God's love. We're just loved. Like a good father loves us, like a, our puppies love us. That's God's love for us. As long as we are working hard, we are always in danger of believing that our actions trigger God's love for us only in stopping, really stopping, do we teach our hearts and souls that we are loved apart from what we do. Without time to stop, we cannot notice God's hand in our lives, practice thankfulness, step outside our culture's values, or explore our deepest longings. Without time to rest, we will seriously undermine our ability to experience God's unconditional love and acceptance. Kathy, would you mind 
coming back for a bit and playing just something restful for us. I just want to take a minute. Could we put um, that Isaiah passage back up, Grace? Oh, thank you. I'm just going to have this passage on the screen for a minute. And we're just going to take a minute here, two minutes to rest and say, Lord, what does it look like for me to return to you? Where are the places I need to return to you? And Lord, do I know how to rest in you? Do I know how to trust in you? So we're just going to take a moment to practice this right now. About two minutes. So Lord, we come to you today. We don't want to whitewash anything. We want healing. We want health. We want wholeness. We want to reflect your glory and wholeness. Lord, I confess I know there's so many ways that I pick the crooked path or I pick the bent path. Would you show me, would you show us how we do that? 
um, individually, as families, as communities, as a church, as um, a city, as a state, as a nation. We want to trust your ways and understand your ways and be on your straight path. Holy Spirit, this week, would you reveal to us the places where there needs to be confession, where there needs to be turning? Lord, I ask for that. Help, help us. I don't ask that glibly or with just lightly, I, I, I ask you to show us so that we can be redeemed from destruction. We can be redeemed out of the pit. We can be pulled out of the muddy mire so that we can have the wisdom of heaven to bring restoration to our families and relationships and restoration to our city and restoration to churches and communities. We rest in your salvation. We don't, I'm not worried about this now that I've asked this prayer. I'm not worried about it because I am trusting in you that you're gonna, you're good. You're so good. And healing is gonna bring joy and thanksgiving. And I'm gonna be like, bless you. The Lord, oh my soul, and all that's in within me, bless the Lord, praise his name. Lord, fill us with faith for that. And Lord, help us. Um, help us know our sin. Help us name it. Help us identify it so that we can be healed. In Jesus' name, amen. So, James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another and you'll be healed. If some of you in this room are like, or online are like, ah, now I want to talk about my sin. <laughs> Find someone in here that you look up to, someone you came with, or you can come talk to me or you can come to our prayer table and we'll talk with you about sin. And guess what? We want to learn to be like Jesus, like the father, and we can separate your sin from you. We can love you like my puppy dog loves me. His name is Cap and he loves me unconditionally. We can love you that way. Amen. Amen. God bless you this week.